In keeping with our sermon series, learning to speak God from scratch, our word for today is confession. It's not a word that's used very often in uh, common parlance, aside from uh, perhaps in confessions of crime. So I decided to uh, find out uh, what uh, context people were using it in by going to that wonderful instrument, the internet, and looking for some confession memes. The first one I came across was, of course, one that I had in my mind and was looking for, which is, confession is good Yes, confession is good for the soul. It's uh, a Scottish proverb, I was informed. Um, but that, that would became a, a kind of uh, set text that variations bounced off of. Uh, I found then one uh, from the Scottish distiller, Thomas Dewar. Uh, he modified it somewhat. Uh, confession is good for the soul but bad for the reputation. <laughs> and, uh, and then in, in modern uh, times, when internet days when things can spread so wildfire, uh, someone put, but bad for the career. Uh, apparently, uh, one meme of someone who decided to avoid those kinds of hazards um, wrote this, my deathbed confession is going to be epic. <laughs> Saving it all for the end. There were uh, some qualifiers that were really pretty, pretty complicated. Uh, Peter DeVries, who is an American editor and novelist of uh, the 20th century, said, uh, confession is good for the soul only in the sense that a tweed coat is good for dandruff. Yeah, think, get, get that picture in your head for a minute. It is a palliative rather than a remedy. In other words, confession maybe could just be a dressing up or of an obscuring of the weakness and wrongdoing while leaving the weakness and the wrongdoer unchanged. And then there was a uh, someone who really took issue with the idea of confession being good for the soul. Uh, this comes from Dorothy Dix, not Dorothea Dix, but Dorothy Dix, who was uh, a pioneering uh, journalist in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, she was a journalist and then kind of the predecessor of the modern day advice columnist. And uh, I'm glad that I'm not reading her advice today. Uh, she said, confession is always a weakness. The grave soul keeps its own secrets and takes its own punishment in silence. Which, uh, wow, if you, if you really mean that, you know the only thing to do when you've done something wrong is to just suffer in silence. But then that uh, spiritual giant and uh, wise practitioner of justice, Mahatma Gandhi said, 
prayer itself, simply the act of praying, is a confession of one's own unworthiness and weakness. So uh, we, we can see uh, practices related to confession um, in, in the Christian tradition, uh, pretty, pretty well established. In, in the Catholic Church, of course, there is uh, one of the seven sacraments is the sacrament of penance and uh, reconciliation. And um, that uh, is oftentimes depicted in movies. I, I haven't done it myself. I think it is still done, um, though perhaps maybe less frequently than before, but where a person goes into a confessional booth behind a screen and there's a priest on the other side and you uh, offer your confession and the priest offers uh, uh, use some acts of contrition to do, uh, and then the word of absolution, of forgiveness. Uh, in Protestant practice, we uh, tend to see it a little bit uh, more as a, a less formal matter, uh, equally important. We follow the book of James' advice, uh, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Um, you'll notice when we have a prayer of confession, uh, if, if the minister says words of absolution and forgiveness, we expect that you need to say them back to us because uh, Christ is the mediator of forgiveness and not any one of us. Um, and also, of course, since Christ is the mediator of, of accepting our confessions and offering forgiveness, we can just in the privacy of our own prayer time um, make prayers of confession. So prayers, uh, a confession of sin is one of the ways that we use that term confession. Uh, but in my memory and in my parlance, the religious language also um, features confession being used in terms of confessions of faith. Confessions of faith. So at the time of the Protestant Reformation, when the uh, church under Martin Luther made a definitive break with the Roman Catholic Church, they solidified their beliefs, their objects of faith, their articles of hope into what was called the Augsburg Confession. Still defines some characteristics of the Lutheran Church today. And the the Presbyterians have their Westminster Confession of Faith, 150 pages long. They don't do anything lightly. Um, the Presbyterians don't. Very thorough. The uh, predecessor, one of the predecessor denominations to the United Methodist Church, uh, the EUB Church, Evangelical United Brethren, had its Confession of Faith, about oh, 18 different articles much, much shorter, they all fit on two pages. They are still part of cons uh, what's considered authoritative um, standards for faith for our United Methodist denomination along with the Articles of Religion. These, these confessions of faith are um, what define our source of belief and our basis for hope. And what I want to uh, put before you today, it, it 
really, I'm just, I could end after I just say this one sentence, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep on going on. But the essence is that we need to put confession of sin and confession of faith together. They belong together. Like the scripture in Psalms and the scripture in Romans. And so what do the scriptures have to say? Uh, here at King Avenue, by the way, you'll notice that uh, during this uh, service, during Lent, we put an official confession of sin and uh, words of pardon and assurance into the bulletin um, during the season of Lent. Every Sunday, we'd say the Lord's Prayer, and in the Lord's Prayer, notice, there's always a little confession built in to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Um, when we say, um, forgive us our trespasses, or forgive us our debts, or forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin or trespass against us, and also there's kind of a hint of it uh, about our proneness, our weakness, our proneness to temptation in the later part where we say, lead us, lead us not into temptation. There's a little bit of confession that's, that's built into that prayer we say each week. Well, what do the scriptures um, say? Um, in the scriptures, uh, things are held together uh, about all the different kinds and aspects of ways confession is intended. Uh, Psalm 32 would be a good example for us to take a look at. I forgot I was going to tell you what the dictionary says confession is uh, first. Uh, so the dictionary under confess for a verb has three definitions. One is to admit or state that one has committed a crime or is at fault in some way. So that we understand is. Um, the second one is to admit or acknowledge something reluctantly because one feels slightly ashamed or embarrassed. So it's not necessarily talking about something that someone's done that's wrong, but just something that seems a little bit uh, a show of weakness or embarrassment. And uh, we all have lots of those. I don't need to give an example. The third one is to declare one's religious faith. Those are all part of the definition of confession. In Psalm 32, we're given a kind of uh, narration by one who's been through the experience of becoming aware of sins that he or she has committed and holding them inside like that bag that Gwen had there, stuffing them down in there and just carrying them around, not acknowledged, not named, but describes the weight that that causes inside of the person, the lack of energy, the groaning, the despair, and then talks about the silence that is broken into confession and the new life that's experienced by being forgiven. And it follows a pattern. It says, 
let me instruct you, this is the way it should work. When you hold things in, it makes you miserable. It weighs you down. It's gonna take away your energy and, and it's going to spin itself out. But when you share them with God, who is able to forgive, then you feel released. Now, um, I wanna say that it's, it's uh, sin is not something that it's really fun to talk about, confessing sin. Um, it's not something we like to talk about uh, a whole lot because uh, we don't want to make feel, people feel bad about themselves. We don't want to uh, play into people having a low self-esteem or beating up on themselves. Uh, but we don't talk about it that much, and perhaps we fail to do so at um, the risk of our own spirits. I want to share with you uh, some thoughts by Carl Menninger, who was a Christian psychologist um, and therapist, uh, and his words are probably from the 60s. This was written, but they are seemingly pretty modern to me, I think. Um, he said, we contemporary folk do not readily think of ourselves as being sinners. Neither are we inclined to think in terms of sin as an explanation for our corporate ills. Carl Menninger pointed this out several years ago in his book, Whatever Became of Sin. And after documenting the disappearance of sin, or the idea of sin, he makes a simple proposal. My proposal is for the revival or reassertion of personal responsibility in all human acts, good and bad. Not total responsibility, but not zero either. I believe that all the evil doing in which we become involved to any degree tends to evoke guilt feelings and depression. These may or may not be clearly perceived, but they affect us. They may be reacted to and covered up by all kinds of escapism, rationalization and reaction, or symptom formation. To revive the half-submerged idea of personal responsibility and to seek appropriate measures of reparation might turn the tide of our aggressions and of the moral struggle in which most of the world population is engaged. Psalm 32 says, uh, the one who is happy is the one whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is covered over. It starts out much like one of my other favorite psalms, Psalm 1, uh, happy is the one who walks in the way of righteousness. But Psalm 32 makes it clear that to be righteous does not mean to be sinless. It means to be forgiven with a heart open to God, learning, changing, and growing, and open to what new work God might do in us. Confession is not the same thing as beating up on oneself. Confession is not the same thing as conceding we can never change or we're rotten and no good. Confession is not the same thing as uh, inviting company for one's misery. 
It's not the same thing as a bid for sympathy. It's not self-punishment. Confession is good for the soul because it gives burdens to God and trusts in God's power to do something about it. So where does confession of faith come in to confession of sin? Well, in a sense, what uh, the writer who criticized the concept of confession as weakness, in a sense, she's right. When we confess, we open ourselves up to uh, hearing words of uh, chastisement from others. We could earn ourselves a reputation. It's pretty bad. Uh, confession is very much a, a sense of, I'm not enough. There's, I went wrong. But confession is the beginning of what's meant to be fulfilled and completed in a confession of faith. So in the biblical pattern, whenever there is confession made, there's also an affirmation of God's power and ability and willingness to open up a pathway and clean us up and work within us to renew us. This is very much clear even in the Old Testament. God is gracious and forgiving in the Old Testament. When confession is made, psalmists and others look back to what God did to intervene and rescue and save Israel in its journey out of Egypt and at other points in its history. For Christians, we point to what God did in Jesus. Hear the words of Romans again. The word is not far from you. It's near your lips. Whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord will be saved, will not be put to shame. Why is it that this is such a powerful confession, just this little Jesus is Lord? Well, in Jesus, Christians very quickly after the resurrection came to believe. Jesus faced the sin of people who intended to do him harm, from the religious leaders who felt threatened by his ideas. Jesus faced the effects of sin on the, on the part of political leaders who saw him as an inconvenience and a rabble-rouser. Jesus faced the effects of sin of even friends who said they loved him and wanted to follow him but didn't stand by him. Jesus absorbed and faced the effects of sin and still in the face of that all the way into death, God not only raised Jesus up from the dead, but he gave a rebuke to the ultimate power of sin. And then we say, that spirit that raised him into life, that spirit that we confess, that spirit is able to work that newness of life in us. If you confess with your lips and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And that word, that word of what is right and what is good 
and how to live. That word will start to take root and start to live in you, in us, to all who believe. The confession of sin should never be made without the confession also of faith. Thanks be to God for his work in Christ that every act of contrition we have and express can be offered to God and create an opening for God's good work in us to continue and to bring new life. Amen.